I'm Betsy Reed, and this is The Discomfort Practice, where I talk to creatives, activists, leaders, scientists, and a host of others about discomfort, about the role it's played in their lives, who they are and what they do in the world, and the value of discomfort in helping us move forward as a society. Discomfort is just the edge of your comfort zone, and on the other side are superpowers. So settle yourself in, and let's get uncomfortable. Well, today I am joined by Christina Bradley. She's the founder of the Creativity Campus, offering courses and programs designed to nurture and develop creative growth, unlocking creative potential. She's also a one-to-one creativity coach. We'll get into what exactly that means. And she supports creative people to successfully navigate their creative paths, careers, and projects. We'll talk a bit about some of the tactics that she uses and, and what that means. She's also the host of the Creativity Campus podcast. She talks to guests about the highs, the lows, and the messy in-betweens of the creative process, along with the meaning and magic of living a more creative life. And if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not a creative, why should I listen to this podcast? Hold fire, keep listening, because we both come at this from the same philosophy, which is that everyone is creative. So stick with us here. Alongside supporting other people's creative journey, Christina continues treading the highs and lows of her own creative path as a writer, storyteller, and author who's currently knee-deep in the gloriously messy process of writing her second novel. We were introduced by our mutual friend, Jillian Kennedy, so a shout out to Jill for connecting us. And I'm about to be a guest on her podcast, so I'll be talking about how creativity can save the world, bringing in my sustainability angle, talking about how everyone is creative, and whether you label yourselves a creative or not, we need creative brains and innovation and seeing the world from a different lens to imagine a different world, to innovate and to save ourselves from systems that have broken society and our planet. So I'm looking forward to that chat. But welcome to the discomfort practice, Christina. Thank you, Betsy. It's so wonderful to be here. So you know, because I warned you and you probably listened to the podcast that I always ask the same first question, which is what's an uncomfortable moment that's changed your life and shaped who you are and what you do in the world? Mm, I love that question. It's such a good one. Mm. I would say that the most significant (laughs) um, uncomfortable experience for me that has had a profound impact on my career and my life and and just who I am in general would be the um, process of self-publishing my first novel Um, and the extreme anxiety of putting my unknown work, which I hadn't uh, shared with anybody up until that point, and actually releasing it into the world and having people read it for the very first time. And that process of of sitting with that discomfort, knowing that that deadline was coming, the work was going to be out there, and then the reviews were going to come in, was a deeply um, exposing feeling and one that filled me with a tremendous amount of discomfort. Um, And it was really interesting, actually, just before, I think I was maybe about three days away from, from the actual release date, and I called the the guy that I was working with who was helping me through the self-publishing process. And I actually, I had a complete panic and I called him and I was just like, what can we do to stop this? Like, has the train already left the station 
Or is there some way that we can just rewind? Because I've changed my mind. I don't want to do this. This is excruciating. And this idea of, of um, just wanting to put on the brakes, feeling like I've made a terrible, terrible mistake, and then waiting for his response. Um, and at that point, I was I was 100% ready to, to pull the plug. And he came back to me and he was just like, I'm afraid it's too late. It's happening. <laughs> and... And it was awful. It was really, really awful because every single part of me at that point was just saying, no, I don't want to do this. This is too much. I can't handle the exposure of this. I can't handle the potential negative feedback that I'm going to get. And just being that out there uh, felt terrifying. Um, And actually having to sit with that discomfort and know that it was happening brace myself for it. And then of course, on that launch day, you know, really, really sit with that and sit through that until the other side where it was out there in the world. Um, it was such a test. It was such an endurance test actually, and, and really challenged me. But off the back of that, it, it taught me a really valuable lesson about, you know, I, I guess in the simplest terms, being scared and, and just going for it anyway. And that actually, you know, discomfort is just a natural part certainly of the creative process we have to be okay with sitting in our own discomfort in order to get through to the other side and so that felt like a really good initiation in that in that very practice and gave you an understanding of all of the creatives that you could possibly come across so feeling the fear and doing it anyway yeah wow and putting a piece of yourself out into the world like that i've talked to a couple of other creatives on this podcast thus far painter another writer um in season one and everybody says the same thing it is just so yeah that moment of thinking what have i done (laughs) i'm putting this piece of myself into the world to potentially be savaged by strangers on amazon what am i doing Oh, so then what was the feeling after you knew that the train had left the station? Was there sort of a sinking feeling or a sort of, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what was the feeling? And then what was the feeling of acceptance like? Yeah, so it was really a kind of like a, a sense of holding on and brace yourself because there is nothing, this is out of my control now um, and it is happening. And in many respects, that was the absolute best scenario because what would have happened if he'd turned around and said, okay, okay, I can stop this. And that would have been the end of it. That would have been, oh, it would have been such a waste. Um, and yeah, you know, that that would have just stopped all of the good and the bad that followed that in its tracks. And so actually it was just a case of of sitting with that discomfort, accepting it and finding a peace with it actually and and, and a sense of, Okay, well, bottom line is, am I proud of of what I've written? You know, am I proud of myself? Am I proud of my work? And if the answer to that is yes, then it doesn't matter whether it's well received or not. All that matters is that that I am okay with this and I am therefore, you know, relatively okay putting it out there to the world knowing that I have um that I'm comfortable with the work that I've created. And you've done your best. And I think that that's, and I've done my best. And I think that's such a big part of the creative process and what stops so many people in their tracks. It's this idea of of facing criticism Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what are the critics going to think? And and then letting that define them and and their work and their process and their creativity. 
Um, and if you can reframe that slightly and, you know, take take that away from other people and actually have in yourself this sense of, you know, if I've done everything I can and I'm proud of it, that's ultimately what matters. Um, mm. And then and then the rest is subjective because all all creative work is subjective. Not everyone is going to like it. Um, and that's out of your control. All that you can control is that you've, you know, you put your absolute best into it and that you're proud of what you've achieved. Mm. And to anyone listening thinking, okay, fine, I'm not going to write a book. I'm not going to paint anything. I'm not a creative. I have spent all week teaching workshops on creativity as part of the well-being process, as part of being resilient. So to just address that, um, it's about the process. It's not about necessarily an output either, because stepping into that creativity in itself is valuable because it helps you to unlock different ways of seeing and thinking. And it might mean you're good at making cocktails or you're good at DIY or you make people laugh. That is creativity as well. So I don't want to lose people thinking, well, I'm not going to self-publish a book. I'm not going to write anything. But this also brings us neatly into what we've talked about a couple of times already, which is everyone's creative, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, we've mentioned this before, but I, I really feel like the word creativity needs a little bit of a rebrand because there's this sense that, as you were saying, Betsy, you know, it's almost like people mistake craft with creativity. They think unless I have a craft, unless I can paint, unless I can write, then I'm not creative. And there's a really big misconception with what creativity actually is. Um, and it's not about the results. It's not about the the outcome. It's it's much more about the process um, of being creative, of engaging with a creative act, uh, which can be anything, as you say, from making a cocktail to, you know, being in your garden and growing plants, flowers, vegetables, whatever it may be, to cooking. It, it's how you approach it. Um, that can be an act of creativity. So I think that's a really important adjustment to make because then that stops people thinking, you know, there's this horrible sort of them and us situation where people look towards typically creative people who maybe do have a more traditional expression of that creativity and think, you know, oh, they are the creatives. And in doing that, they reject their own creativity um, and, and therefore disconnect from their creativity. And then there's sort of, a self-fulfilling prophecy then follows where, you know, they, they don't see themselves as creative and therefore they don't engage in creative acts and therefore, lo and behold, they're not creative and they're not feeling creative. So I would say the very first step is to actually reclaim your creativity and, and own it and, you know, find expression for it. Mm, I think there's a lot to be said there, too, about comfort zone, because you can only be creative when you're not in your comfort zone, right? You have to be out there. That's Creating something new, thinking of something new, seeing something in a different way, that's where the, the magic happens, the creativity happens, the space in which you're able to solve tricky issues at work or in your life or able to you know, adjust the engine on your motorcycle better or whatever. Can you tell I'm reading Zen on the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance? But it's, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting to just think of it that way because I remember... I was working with this Flow State Collective mm. last year during the lockdown, which don't even think too hard about what that means. But I was talking to people about creativity and found a couple of people who said with with pride, they're like, well, I'm practical. I leave the creative stuff for other people. That there was this sort of looking down their noses at creatives as if they were just head up in the clouds, not you know very practical, not really doing anything 
useful in the world. And they were practical. And I just thought, oh, what a shame. A, this binary way of thinking makes them miss out on so much of themselves. And also that just demeans creativity in such a useless way when it's part of all of us. So yeah, I think that's something I'd really love for people to sort of chew over. You are creative, whoever you are. Think about what brings you joy in doing something differently. It might just be cooking a beautiful meal and just kind of being in this creative flow of you don't need a recipe, just know how things work together. And that is creativity. So I want to ask, how does creativity work? <laughs> Good luck answering this one. <laughs> well, isn't that the million dollar question? How does creativity work? Well, I would say that the first, I haven't got the answers for this. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> it's a conversation, Christina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't have the magic answer. What What I would say is, firstly, it's a process. Mm. And, and the first component in that process is, you know, it's very much about, I think, as we just talked about, Betsy, reclaiming your creativity and making that decision that you want to have a relationship with your creativity and that you're curious enough to explore what that might look like. Mm. And it means enough to you that you are going to dedicate some time to it and you're going to prioritize it. And you are going to find a way of honoring your creative life. And I think, you know, because with with creativity, if if you if it doesn't really matter to you, and if it doesn't matter to you and you're not worried about it, then by all means, you know, go on your good way. But if it's something that you actually do want to develop and you do want to nurture, you have to put some time into it. And the way you put the time into it is by actually seeing it as something meaningful and something that you want to engage with and you want to practice. You know, it's like anything. It, it only gets, you know, you, you only get better with practice. Um, and and I think, yeah, and you sort of touched on it before, I think there can be an element of, of people seeing their creative work as frivolous, as meaningless, sometimes even as selfish. I get that a lot with my clients. You know, they feel like committing to their creative work feels like a selfish act, which always surprises me. But I also understand the sort of psychology behind that, because in that sense, they haven't given it enough importance and therefore it feels something of a luxury to sit down and create um, rather than a necessity. And actually, I would argue that, you know, really nurturing our creative core is a necessity in order for our, you know, for our well-being. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say that that is a really, really big part is, is just, you know, bringing more meaning to it and allowing yourself to really honor your creativity and, and go into a relationship with it. Mm, I like that, what you say about having a relationship with your creativity, mm. because it is it is something that often we, we tamp down and we forget. And I was interviewed a few months back on someone else's podcast, and their last question was a zinger that I didn't see coming, which was, you know, what what do you want people to remember this year? It was in January. And what came out was unexpected even, even for me. And I said, remember the parts of yourself that you've forgotten that the world needs from you. And it just kind of even made me emotional saying it. But for me, a lot of that has been bringing out my creativity. And actually... I've got a story. So mm. I used to play the cello professionally, quite a high level, a classical cellist. I was in my state symphony orchestra when I was like 16 to 19, went to university, made some good money playing at weddings, et cetera, et cetera. But then when I moved to Scotland when I was 24 to do my master's degree, I was too poor to book another 
you know, ticket for my cello. And I had to leave it behind. So suddenly I went from being very creative, very successful musician to not playing at all. to not even having an instrument. Wow. And it was so mm. painful to me for years and years that I couldn't even listen to classical music for a very long time, like years. And today I finally brought my cello back from the States, my aunt's oh. basement a couple years ago. No, longer than that ago, ages ago. And I just haven't touched it because I, it's Ooh. really hard to have gone from being very, very good at something to thinking, I'm going to be crap at this for a while again. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yes, I hear you. Yeah. Hate so you. today I actually finally got it out and I tuned it up and I sat and I played and it made me so happy, so mm. emotional. And it was just like 10 minutes dabbling at the beginning of my day. And now I'm just like, I'm back to listening to Haydn cello concertos on Spotify and thinking, I want to be back to playing this. But it was just beautiful oh. to bring back that part of myself. So I guess it's really probably useful. Let's talk about children. Children have this creativity that is completely unstifled by social expectations or the idea that they have to make money at it or not do it or that they have to color in the lines or that their, their you know, sculpture made of Play-Doh has to look like something. And it's beautiful to watch them in that process because they don't have any fear about being creative. And so for me, rediscovering that creative part of myself was very much about sort of stepping into a part of myself that I'd forgotten that actually as a child, mm -hmm. I used to sit with the family's stand up Hoover and pretend I was playing the cello as like a five year old. <laughs> so it's sort of, yeah, how can we remember our childlike self in our creativity? And how can we discover that joy for ourselves through creativity? It was a bit of a rambling mm -hmm. anecdote. But I guess part of my point it, is though. really about getting back to that playful inner child and bringing that to the world because that's what the world needs from us. It doesn't need these layers of serious grown-upness all the time. It actually needs our inner child-likeness, doesn't it? Mm. Well, it def definitely, I completely agree with that. And, you know, the world does need more play. I really mm. believe that. And I think we have so much to learn from children, but also from our own inner child. Um, mm -hmm. And finding those lost parts of ourselves that do still exist and 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 really reconnecting with them and, and bringing them to the forefront again and I think you know it's so important um to be able to to play and to be able to approach your creative work with a childlike sense of mm. play and I think you know an exercise that I, I teach as part of um my coaching is is to help people really remember how they used to play as a child. Like what were some of the characteristics of that play and how did that feel and what lit them up and what did playing look like? And then what did that playing feel like? And really ask them to kind of revisit that time, not just, you know, in, in a sort of, in a, in a very felt way so that they remember, but they feel that sensation mm. of play as well. And, and then really explore, well, what were some of the things going on when you were in that really strong state of play? Like, what were some of the characteristics? And of course, some of some of those is, you know, it's about being present. It's about it's about being completely committed to that play and to that moment. 
and fully absorbed in that and not thinking about what's going to happen next and a willingness to be taken in any direction that that play wants to take you. And, you know, the, the power of saying yes and, which is an old improvisation mm. um, technique, but to really keep building that play and, and for it to be growing and developing. And then once you've really understood that and how that works and how that feels and what that, you know, what that looks like, it's almost about packaging that up and using that as an approach when it comes to your creative work so that you're treating your creative work as an act of play. Mm. And that's how we find the joy in it. That's how we find the play in it. And that's how we learn to kind of let go a little bit and be willing to, you know, go back to basics and be mediocre instead of brilliant. <laughs> you know, <laughs> That's me on the cello um, right and, now. Yeah. Yeah. But it's me when I start a new book, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's giving ourselves the permission to, to just, be where we are and meeting ourselves there um, and, and just experimenting, you know, the complete freedom to experiment mm. and to trust ourselves is such an important component of play. And it is such a vital component of the creative process. And it's also interesting because when you look at what it or when you remind yourself or remember what it is to be deep in a state of play, you'll find that actually it's the same as being in a deep state of flow. Mm -hmm. So actually the more able we are to, um, you know, connect to our, you know, our ability to play, the easy, more easily we'll be able to achieve a state of flow. So it's, it's really vital you connect to it. It's so easy. And actually that probably is, it feels unnatural for those of us from societies where things have to be a struggle. Things have to be hard to be valid. So when you mm. talk about stepping into a state of play, it's fun. It's not anxious. Yeah. It's easy. It comes naturally to you. And we kind of, we kind of grow up eventually and get this idea that things have to be hard to be valid. And so I like what you were saying. And I, I would put that out to listeners Find some time to go sit and either just watch children play or close your eyes and picture yourself as a child playing and feel that state of joy and what were the circumstances and what did you enjoy and rediscover that part of yourself because it's still in there waiting to be brought out to the world and the world needs that playful side of you because if we're all doom and gloom and serious, eh, we're all going to be pretty unhappy. And also, if we're anxious, we're not present. We're thinking about things in the future that we can't control anyway. So simply by thinking about play and then taking a few breaths, I think that's just a really hot tip to pass along to people. And then the other thing, I loved what you talked about being mediocre, because I know Brene Brown quotes somebody about <laughs> shitty first drafts. She talks about SFDs. Just get your yeah, shitty yes. first draft out there because it's like, yeah. What do you find? Because you've written a couple of, well, you're writing another book, but you've written a book. I've yeah. written a book and you know, <laughs> it's not easy, but the act of just getting it out there, it's like giving birth and then it's out there and then you can refine it, then you can tweak it. So what's the value of just pushing out that shitty first draft of whatever it is you're doing? It might be a cake you're learning to bake or a book you're writing, but let's talk about shitty first drafts. Shitty first drafts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's essential. Um, it's, you know, I can talk about it with, with the writing. Unless you are prepared to write a shitty first draft, then you will never get on to writing something that's better. Mm. You know, you have to push through that really difficult process of writing something knowing that it's bad. 
and accepting that it's bad Mm. in order to move beyond that and to write something good. And that's really, really, really difficult, especially if you're coming to it from a position where you've already written something and you, you know, you're, let's say in my case, I'd written my previous book and, and that was all fine and great. And then you start your second one and you've sort of finished at the best version of the previous one only to descend all the way back down to the bottom again to start back at the beginning um, <laughs> and, to, <laughs> uh... and to have to meet yourself there. And it is so challenging. And, you know, I think most people can relate to some element of being a perfectionist and, and wanting at the very minimum, wanting to have a talent and wanting to be good mm. and, you know, wanting to write. So, I mean, I, I talk about writing because that's my thing, but this can translate to to any different creative uh, expression um, or any aspect of life, I suppose. But, you know, with, with my writing, I really want it to be good. And when I'm sat there and I know full well that it's not, that's really difficult to move beyond. And so many clients that I work with, that's why they they come to me in the first place is because they've got stuck Mm. because they want it to be perfect on the first go. And they just keep going round and round and round in circles, making one chapter really, really great that they're never able to move on and get to the end. So they're ultimately never able to really achieve their creative goal Mm. because they are just so stuck, unable to sit in the discomfort of being mediocre. Yeah. Um, So I'm really pleased you raised that because I think it is such an important part of the of the process. And it's such a necessary part. And I think, you know, we talked about this before, but, you know, people think that, that you know, a creative project should all be fun and it should all be easy and, and joyful. And it's just not. And some ch- sometimes it's a bloody challenge. It's really, really difficult. And it makes you feel really bad about yourself. And, and that's just part of the process. And that's the part that you need to sit with and and work through and overcome in order to be able to move forward and um and unfortunately that's where a lot of people get so demotivated they walk away and then that novel goes in their bottom drawer and they never return to it but they never stop thinking about it and it becomes this constant source of frustration and sadness Mm. um you know and unfulfilled dreams so there's so much to be said for being able to tolerate the discomfort in order to to be able to get to the other side of it. Oh, that's so succinctly put, because there's a whole lot of ego getting in the way and the perfect oh, being yeah. the enemy of the mediocre even. My, my dad is retired. Oh, bless him. My dad is a retired English teacher, like middle school mm-hmm. English teacher, and he taught he taught kids how to write and he would always say vomit on paper never edit as you go because it was his basic way of saying don't get in the way of the flow just flow just get it out there vomit on paper and I still to this day that's how I write vomit on paper and then often you find when you've got the skills when I'm writing a speech or whatever it comes out pretty well but you have (laughs) to be willing to have it be pretty shitty sometimes and and you make a really good point about it being Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes it is, it feels like a job. You show up to your daily creative practice. Hopefully you have a daily creative practice where you just write a page or do a thing or dance around the living room or cook something. But you just have to show up for it over and over again because it is a practice, right? Just like playing an instrument or doing meditation, you practice it every day. And some days it's great. And some days it's a struggle. A lot of days it's a struggle, I would say, in my case, but I do it anyway because I know there will be these moments of transcendence and productivity Mm -hmm. when something great does come out. 
Yeah, absolutely. I was interviewing somebody on my podcast the other day, actually, and he had a really beautiful point about um, making meaning. And he said, so often we we think that our you know creative practice and our creative work should provide the experience of meaning, and actually that's not the job of it. And if it, and actually what what's important is if if it's meaningful work, then the experience of doing it does not need to provide meaning to validate it. And I just thought that that was such a great reframe because so often you know we get really frustrated and, and want to give up. Um, but actually, there's so much success in just sitting down every day to do your work, regardless of what the outcome is, because you've really honoured, you know, your your um, creativity. Mm. It sounds like it's just like with anything else. You can get in your own way by wanting, wanting an ending so badly or wanting success so badly that you kind of force and cajole and maybe even sabotage things before they've had a chance to just kind of uh, steep or you've had a chance to do several drafts. And even if you're not trying to produce something creatively because it's your job or whatever, we need to let go of this idea that it's about anything more than the process. And if you happen to have a great output that you're happy with or anybody else is happy with, that's kind of, that's the byproduct, isn't it, of the creativity? Mm, 100%, 100%. Mm. And I, I think as well, the creative process is a, a very mysterious one. You know, we might have our own timeline that we want to work with. And, you know, that's important to keep us on track and to help us, you know, achieve our goals and all of that good stuff. But at the same time, you have to give way to the mystery of the process. And, and sometimes, you know, you might want it to be done in six months but it's not meant to take six months. It needs longer. Ideas take longer to percolate and to form. And I always think of writing as kind of an excavation process. It's like the story already exists and it's my job to just dig away the layers and discover it. Mm. And sometimes that can happen, you know, in a morning and sometimes it takes a year and sometimes it takes two. And sometimes, you know, it's an ongoing process. You think you've, you found something and, and you're like, yes, I've hit gold with this. And then you go back to it and you realize, wow, that was just the surface of it. And there's more digging to go. And you can't hurry that. And that pro- and you shouldn't want to hurry that process either. As much as, you know, it's understandable, we all get attached to outcomes. But there is so much joy and treasure to be found in the actual process mm-hmm. and so much to be learned from the process that we shouldn't try and hurry that along. Instead, we should, you know, try to stay as present as we can for that Um to see what we might experience and what we might learn and how we might be changed by going through that. Mm. You know, Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this a lot, mm. about the journey of the creative process and how you're not the same person um, at the end of it that you were at the beginning. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. So, you know, it's it's being open to that rather than rushing that process. Yeah. Oh, her book, Big Magic. Oh, I oh. absolutely love oh. that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That love idea it. that we all have something to give birth to into the world, but we have to just mm. find it, let it emerge. Almost, you know, when sculptors have that approach of they are helping the sculpture to emerge from the piece of stone they're chiseling, it's it's in there. They just are helping to uncover it. Yes. So it sounds like we are definitely on the same page. I know we are because we've talked about this, about (laughs) discomfort being a necessary part of the creative process. And and remember, we're talking about creativity broadly as something that in order to live a life that is not fully just bogged down in your comfort zone, 
we're talking about the necessity of discomfort, you know, on the edge of superpowers, basically, like I say all the time at the beginning of this podcast. So how can, I don't know, how, how can people embrace discomfort in order to find or bring forth their creativity? Hmm. Didn't warn you about that question, did I? I feel like I should put on some hold music, tap dance a little so you can think about this. But how can people embrace creativity or how can people embrace discomfort to unlock, unleash their creativity in whatever area? Well, you know, one exercise I do with my clients, which is always a very uncomfortable exercise for them. It's something I do myself, um, but it's very revealing. And I don't know how applicable it is to specifically answer this question, but I'll go with it because it's what it made me think of. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I asked them to get a big piece of A3 paper. And then in the middle of that paper, write something along the lines of what's holding me back. Now you can modify this you know, for, for my clients, it's, it can be what's holding me back from writing my book, what's holding me back from putting my work out there. But for people listening, if, if you, you don't have such a specific creative um, form, then you can do it with any number of different things. And then I ask them to set a timer for three minutes, which actually feels like quite a long time when you're doing this exercise. <laughs> and, um, and they're not allowed to take the pen off the paper and they just have to write all of all of their answers or their responses to that question. What's holding me back? And and in doing that, you know, you'll you'll get the the very obvious ones that are front and center of their mind. And then as they're really, you know, forcing themselves to write, they're going deeper and deeper and, and more into an unconscious place where all sorts of weird and wonderful things arise. And then the timer stops, and then we look at it. And what we've got is a page of various different um reasons and rationales for what for what might be holding them back and then to actually sit down and to look at those head on and get curious about what's actually going on there is in itself quite an uncomfortable act because it brings you face to face with you know some of the darker parts of yourself where you realize okay well there's there's a lot of um you know, there's a lot of resistance going on here. There's a lot of limiting beliefs going on here. There is a lot of excuses going on here. Uh, there's a lot of destructive thinking going on here. And really just getting very, very clear about what's standing in your way and what are you scared of ultimately is what it comes down to. And when you have this page in front of you, which I call, you know, your creative saboteurs, mm -hmm. you can start to deal with those saboteurs and not necessarily overcome them because that's not realistic. And they like to, you know, rear their ugly heads whenever you sit down to work. But it's actually about understanding, OK, well, then this is the reality right now. And now I understand it and now I know it and now I can see it in black and white. Mm -hmm. So how do I begin to negotiate and navigate around that? And how do I deal with my excuses? Do I just, you know, meet them head on and, and just literally, you know, change my ways? Or do I need to find ways of adjusting? Um, and, you know, my limiting beliefs, are they true? Are they, are they serving me? You know, what's, what's, what's behind them and how can I navigate my way around them? Uh. And that exercise really, it can be quite brutal because you're not, you know, as I said at the beginning of that, you some of it you'll be very familiar with, but 
other stuff that comes up might surprise you and um and it brings you face to face with yourself and then at that point you can you can move forward and get out of your own way Mm -hmm. essentially which I have to say is the biggest challenge when it comes to uh people really being able to honor their creativity and, and do their creative work it's being able to get out of their own way long enough to actually sit down and do it I feel like we could just replace the word creativity with the term living your best life here because. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. It's it's so relevant. You could sit and I mean, I've done that exercise myself, but about living my purpose. And I when I'm talking to people about in fact, I was giving a speech yesterday about finding and living your purpose and your values in all areas of your life. But a lot of people feel like they can't. And so I think that would be a very useful exercise, whether you have a creative thing to apply it to or actually you feel blocked on having the life you really want to have. If there's something that just doesn't feel quite right, you're just not really in alignment with who you truly are, which is also creative. We're all creative inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sit and do that exercise. Set a timer for three minutes and ask yourself, what's blocking me from living this life that I want to live? Maybe have a clear picture of the life and then see what's between you and it. But yeah, that's a powerful exercise. I think now I'm inspired to maybe sit and do that myself. I can't think of anything I'm blocked on, but I'm sure there's something. There's always something. We always all have something. But it's something. a great, we've always got something. And it's just a great one to have in your toolkit, I think, mm. to just bring out. Because the more specific you can be about that question that you ask, the more specific your answers are going to become and essentially the more revealing they will become. So it can be really powerful. The things that stand between us and being our most creative selves, but also our greatest, most purpose-driven, most unique selves are down there. We know them. And I think a lot of us, we're scared of going in there. We're scared of what we'll find if we just pause and do that introspection and let things come up. But actually, it's all inside of you. There's nothing to be scared of. It's better to know and then to be able to be conscious and selective and do whatever work you need to do to unblock yourself. So don't be afraid of doing this work of just asking yourself the question, what's in my way? Because you know, you really do know and you can be your own best listener or maybe you need somebody like you, Christina, who is a coach on these things who can just be with you and prompt you to do these things and also help make it fun because it doesn't have to be scary or hard or like, ooh, therapy. But yeah, yeah, I really love that exercise. Absolutely. And there's one more thing just to add. Sorry, Betsy, I just wanted to add a really key point with it. Part of it, which also is such a parallel with the creative process anyway, but it's about allowing yourself to be completely uncensored, you know, and not editing what comes up we talked about that before this sort of getting in the way of yourself by constantly editing but just allowing yourself to you know for whatever comes up for you let it land on the page and not judge it and carry on and again I you know I use the yes and you just accept the offer and then you and then you 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 move on you accept it and then you keep going um rather than than judging yourself and questioning yourself and agonizing over like what's come up and I think there's such a strong parallel there with the you know with the creative process generally I think you know people hold themselves back from censoring themselves and judging what comes out and judging their work and judging their expression rather than just accepting it and you know building on it and continuing on and allowing themselves to kind of grow and develop as part of that process. 
That takes a certain amount of confidence, though, doesn't it? Because it might be, I'm thinking of all the phrases out there that people who I know have no problem just kind of jumping off that cliff, you know, like, I'll take a swing at it, or as my dad would say, vomit on paper, or whatever it is. It might not even be a creative thing. It might be like, sure, I'll, I'll have a go at that. I'll take a swing at it. I'll jump out, jump in the deep end. I'll just, you know. But I think it's it's a confidence thing, too, isn't it? Because if you're not if you're not confident in yourself that whatever happens, you can deal with it, you're going to have a very different attitude to the risk of being creative or of trying something new. Because when we're saying creative, it's also just, frankly, trying something new and going into the unknown, going into the discomfort. Mm, yeah. Going into the unknown. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. What are some tips for confidence? Is it just, just feel the fear, do it anyway, and you will gain a track record of knowing that you can handle it? Or are there any particular tips that you give people to grow their confidence in being creative? I think part, one of them, one approach can be just to, you know, as you said, go for it and learn and build through experience. I feel like that one is, can be quite challenging and, and quite terrifying and can be quite risky because if it goes wrong, it can have the opposite effect. Um, so, you know, if, if you're somebody that is comfortable enough pushing yourself beyond your limits, then then certainly that that can be an approach. But I think for me, it's so much about trust and it's so much about learning to trust yourself, trust your instincts, trust your your intuition, trust the commitments that you make to yourself, trust your voice, your work, your expression. And so I, you know, tell my clients, let's just start small. Let's just make really small steps so that you can build your trust muscle. And that the more you're able to do that and the more manageable you can make it and the kinder you can be with yourself and the more compassion you can have with yourself throughout this by learning to trust yourself, then you can start to grow. You can start to take bigger steps. And all the while, you you will know that you you can hold yourself, mm. and then the confidence comes as part of that. So that feels a more kind of compassionate, softer, gentle entry point by just taking baby steps and thinking more about what can I do um, that will you know help me trust myself versus you know like how do I put myself out there and build confidence and. I feel like confidence becomes a byproduct of being able to trust ourselves really deeply. So I would encourage people to work on that connection and then the confidence will just come. Maybe it's going back to that childlike metaphor. How would you treat yourself as a child? You wouldn't just throw yourself off a cliff and be like, good luck. You'd be like, here, let me hold your hand. Let me help you yeah, learn to tie your shoes. the edge of the pool rather than go yeah. to the top 25 meter diving board, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. I think it's because that can be such a form of self-sabotage as well. I know I do that and think, oh, well, I can't sit and meditate for 30 minutes today, so I can't do it at all. Oh, no. Just build it a little at a time and then it gets easier and easier. And and I would like to think I live on the edge of my comfort zone a lot because I mm -hmm. now know it's where it's where the magic happens. It's where there's joy. It's where there's an energy. It's where I never feel stuck. But of course I have moments where I'm just in my, in my comfort zone. My home life tends to be my comfort zone because this is where I refuel and rest. So, you know, you need places to rest as well in the creative process, don't you? When you're going to be out there pushing yourself to be creative or unblocking things, you still, it's okay to have days when you need to rest. We haven't even gotten back to the basics. I really want to ask you actually, like what 
what made you decide to become a creativity coach? You know, what was younger Christina like where you got to a point where you were like, this is something I need to bring to the world. This is who I need Mm. to be. (laughs) Well, it has been a journey, Betsy. I'm not going (laughs) to lie. It has been a jagged path that has brought me here. Um, And I I started out as an actress, actually. So I went and uh, trained over in Vancouver and I spent a long time um, over there acting. And I have, I moved to London um, in my uh, late 20s and I decided that acting wasn't for me anymore and I wanted to move into something else. And I moved into um, the world of live events and became a creative show producer um, Mm. and did that for a good chunk of time. And my writing has just been the undercurrent that has just joined me everywhere. Um, and, And then I got to a point where I was just like, this work this career that I've chosen writing aside but this career that I've chosen isn't isn't fulfilling me anymore this isn't what I want to be doing this doesn't feel that it's fully aligned with me Mm -hmm. Uh, and I need to do something that feels more me and that has more meaning to it and gives me yeah it has more purpose but as we all know and I'm sure lots of people listening to this I mean I feel like everybody's on that path where they're trying to do meaningful work and work out what their calling is and mm. and it is not an easy process and finding your purpose is is really you know it's hard it almost feels like a full-time job and it can be very forced and that in itself is a process you know it, it takes time to to uncover those layers and work out what it really is that you you know want to be doing and I um you know, in a bid to sort of discover this side of myself, I, I um, actually started a business called the Communication Campus because I thought, right, well, this is it. And if I really think about, you know, the work that I've been doing and, um, you know, what makes sense and what can I monetize and how can I make this work and what sort of, you know, works with my CV and who do I already know and all this kind of rationale that all sounded very good, led me to um, start the communication campus, which was really helping people tell their stories on stage, which felt like a good fit. And I was able to make sense of it until the point where it was all going very well. And I realized I don't like this. I'm I'm not doing work that I love. And it's weird because I've actually set this up now for myself. Um, And I was just like, this is very frustrating to have made this huge leap and set up my own business only to discover two years down the road when it's actually working, that it's still not quite right. And of course, you kind of go back to the process and you, you know, you look at that and spend some time with that. And I had um, this session actually with a with a career coach. And, and I was talking about my own life experience and, you know, what I'm really passionate about. And she made the very uh, flippant comment, what if you change the word, uh, create, change the word from communication to creativity? And suddenly it was like a chiropractic adjustment. It was honestly like everything just shifted and fell into place because I realized retrospectively that the through line of my entire career from my acting through to my writing, all of the experiential live events that I've done, it has all been joined together by creativity and storytelling. And that is really the through line of my, my, not only my career, but my life. That's, you know, what makes me, me. And when I, when I landed on that, everything just fell into place. And, and so 
the communication campus took on a new form and became the creativity campus. And then um, from there, I've just, you know, it's, it really enables me to, to really continue and celebrate my own creative practice and my own creative expression in my writing. And at the same time, helping other people to, you know, really navigate their own creative paths from all my own learnings of navigating mine. Um, mm. So it's, it's been a very, as I said at the start, a very sort of jagged path, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I feel like it's been the absolute sort of necessary one to lead me to where I am now, um, which I love. Oh, wow. I loved what you said about a chiropractic adjustment when something just clicks into place and mm. everything aligns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I guess that's something to remember for anybody listening, that we never know what's going to happen next. It's suddenly going to make everything else make sense. So 2020, one of the best years of my life. I was forced to sit right. still and everything came into alignment. I was giving this speech yesterday on sustainability and purpose and feminine leadership to the largest county council in England. I was speaking online to over 150 people who just showed up for this. Oh my goodness. And I was saying to, actually, I think I said it during the speech. I feel like I've been writing this speech for five years because mm -hmm. suddenly everything I care about and everything I am and everything I've worked on is now in one bucket. I don't know how it happened other than my setting an intention for it to somehow end up that way. So I think there's also that beauty of just sort of keep going and yeah. looking back and seeing how things fall into place, right? It's sometimes the creative process is part of that, being yourself, knowing your purpose, all of this is part being of that. Being brave and being, you know, willing to live authentically and mm. to take those risks in order to do that and and to be able to you know do work and live a life that feels truly authentic to who you are and the fullest expression of who you are which for me is everything that's so important but that that's you know takes courage I think to do that and and that's mm. part of it as well. I love the concept of brave. <clears throat> it's always been a, when people ask me about a trait that, that I value, it's bravery. And my aunt mm. once said, when she was asked to describe me to her friend, she said, I've always thought of Betsy as brave. I don't know why. Yeah. I just love brave. It just feels yeah. like an important trait. But flip side of that, and actually we're sort of coming down to the end of our chat, but the flip side of that, we've talked a lot about discomfort, but what... What is the value of comfort and rest and taking breaks in terms of nurturing creativity, nurturing yourself and your purpose, maybe? Mm, yeah, that's such a good question. And I think it's so important to look at the, the flip side of it, of discomfort, mm. and recognize the importance of comfort and um, that sense of safety and security. And I think, you know, that makes me think about what I was saying previously about trust Um and and actually not always I think it's really crucial to uh and essential to put yourself out there to to spend time um being uncomfortable outside of your comfort zone but that is also exhausting and mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of energy to do that and it's it isn't a nice place to always live and so we need to come home again to ground ourselves, to find ourselves, to feel safe and secure. And, and, we, and, and in order for us to be able to go back out there again, if we just live out there, it feels quite a reckless place to be um, and quite untethered. And so I feel like it's, it's an anchoring process, bringing us back to somewhere that feels more manageable, safer. And then that process of actually knowing 
that you are in control of that and that you will make good decisions about when it's time to step out and to push yourself and to embrace the discomfort. And then when it's time to retreat and to nurture and to hold yourself, Mm. that is building that trust that I was talking about, which I think is really, really important so that you know that ultimately you can trust yourself to make a good decision on on when to take yourself out there and when to bring yourself home again and and trying to find that balance i think is what will um you know keep you moving forward but keep you safe and healthy yeah when to put on the comfy sweats and just have a movie night and when to cocooning one of my friends called it we're cocooning you do need that so what are some of your practices? Just like little peer into Christina's life. You know, what are the things that actually, when you take a little break from being out there on the edge of your comfort zone, what, how do you take care of yourself? So I I would say that the part of taking care of myself is my creative practice. Hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, that's when I feel like I come home, basically. Um, and I try and make that as ritualistic as possible so that it feels really nurturing and soulful and, hmm. um, yeah, and a pleasurable experience so that I want to return to it. So, you know, I begin my creative practice. I'm very lucky I have a what I call my Zen Den, which is my, my creative space. And I will, you know, light a candle to kind of open my creative space. And then I will um, spend some time doing my morning pages because I find that a really, really great grounding exercise and just something that is, again, you know, very soulful and mm. um, nourishing. And and then I will, I'll begin my writing so that's that's one part and that's very much related to my creative practice and then other things that are just like you know maybe not so um specific to my writing but you know I really take play seriously and mm. it's been hard this year it's been really hard with being locked down but you know trying to adopt an attitude of play and trying to do things where we you know we can do playful acts and um you know that's that's really really important for me the other day I I took myself out on my bike and I took myself off on this really big 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 adventure um just cycling on my own listening to my music and that felt you know I didn't know where I was going I got completely lost I fell over in the mud like it was slightly (laughs) scary at times um but you know that that feels in, in itself really nurturing um and enables me to come back to my creative world with with new energy did that answer your question Betsy? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's just, I love hearing about other people's discomfort practice, but also their nurturing practice. Mm. Yeah, because it's it's so important to be able to rest. I said this in my last solo episode, is sort of having had a couple of rough weeks with tech and being busy, but allowing yourself to rest is such an important part of this whole process of being creative, of being someone who tries to live with purpose. And I think that's a really important thing. So any final gold nuggets, gems that you want to leave people with about they are creative, here's how to nurture that? Well, the other thing I was just going to say, I don't know how actually relevant it is to that particular question, but the other thing I was going to say is it's also okay to step away from it for a while. I feel like there's Mm. so much pressure to to kind of, you know, be productive, to achieve and all of that stuff. And I think part of, of um, you know, nurturing yourself is, is being okay to just 
put the work down and and move on to something else and know that Mm. you can come back to it without feeling like you always need to force it and push and that, you know, beat yourself up because you're taking a day or, you know, a week away from it. Sometimes that's just part of the process. Um, So I would say that. And then um, trust, which we've already already touched on. Mm -hmm. And then probably the final little nugget I would just say is about giving yourself the permission it's such a big one, but, you know, people really struggle to just give themselves the permission to really go for it and to prioritize what matters to them the most, what really truly deeply matters to them. And, and that's where all of the excuses comes in. It's where all of the self-sabotage comes in. But actually just giving yourself that permission um, to to acknowledge what it is that, that, you know, really makes your heart sing and go for that, I think mm. is is so important. Uh, I guess that's just a great way to end. And it's mm. give yourself permission to trust yourself, to take breaks, to not have to have an output, to acknowledge that you are creative as is everyone else. Christina, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to being on your podcast mm. and having that chat about how creativity can change the world. So I have a feeling you'll be coming back, maybe as a discomfort running buddy. I have a feeling we have lots more chats to have. (laughs) But thank you for helping people to put their creativity into the world. And thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you so much, Betsy. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you to my team who helped me produce this podcast, to my brilliant editor, Dimitar Tvedkov, to Thomas Sheffer for the original music, and to Luis Amaro for the original artwork. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help me reach new listeners by leaving me a five-star and written review on Apple Podcasts, following me on Spotify, or anywhere else you love to listen to podcasts. You can also follow me on Instagram at TheBetsyRead. That's B-E-T-S-Y-R-E-E-D. If you're interested in bonus episodes and guided meditations I record regularly, head over to Patreon.com and become a supporter. For the price of a coffee each month, you get access to a community. So there's really only one thing left to say. Thank you for spending time with me. Stay uncomfortable.